I'm just so so uh, grateful for the opportunity to, to uh, share with you. This morning, Pastor Scott was breaking out uh, this, this message series, and uh, I got, I am the light of the world. So today, we're going to be turning there, but before we do, if you want to, go ahead and if you're like a prepared individual, uh, we appreciate you. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to John 8. You can do that, and that's fine. Just stick your finger, your thumb, whatever, your notes, if you've got those notes, you see back pocket in front of you has them. You'll notice there's no fill in. That's because I want you to pay attention uh, and write whatever hits you. So um, kind of gave you guys the scripture references and the big points. Uh, we're going to get into it today. But my, uh, my childhood, uh, I, I had the privilege of being a, a church staff kid. My mom worked on the church staff at the church that we attended. And um, her office, so it was one of those old school churches that had the pastor's office off to the side. For the life of me, I'll never understand why they did that because, like, you know, you're right off to the side prepping and preparing, and, like, you can hear everything that's going on out here. Like, you know, it's, that door is not that thick, okay? And my mom's office was on the other side of the sanctuary. Um, so there were a handful of times, like, closing up Wednesday night after youth, you know, we're getting ready to go, and all of a sudden, my mom remembers, oh, I forgot, fill in the blank, purse, keys, wallet, At the, when they finally got it, phones, you know, we, I didn't grow up, you know, I had a flip phone, my first phone, right, so she'd forget her phone in the office, and then, of course, me being the firstborn son, there's, there's privileges and curses that go with that. Um, you know, you're usually the first to learn how to do everything. I remember, uh, vividly remember, uh, learning how to cut the grass. My dad was standing right in front of me, <laughs> passionately explaining why we followed the line. And I was like, okay, Dad, got it, got it. So I had the task of running to her office to get whatever she forgot, okay? And, um, this church had a wood building, or it was like a wood roof, okay? And for those of you who are in older homes, you know that sometimes there's noises that happen at random times, okay? Now, I mentioned we were locking up and everything was dark, right? You, you, you catching the drift here? All the way at the front of the sanctuary, I had to go. And it was usually no big deal getting there. But for some reason, any time I, I was on the way back, man, those wood beams, the ceiling, something would creak, and it'd be like, something's coming after me. You know, my little sixth-grade imagination, I'm like, it goes wild, baby. I've been in small group with some of them. I'm telling you right now, some of your kids got some serious imagination, okay? And, and I would hear the wood, and it's almost like it would move faster as I was trying to go, you know, because you're in the sanctuary, and I was raised, you know, you don't run in the sanctuary, so I'm like, you know, I've never really been a runner. I don't know if you can tell that, but I, I, I had to move quick. So there were a couple times that I did run because I was, I was filled with fear. But, man, the darkness is just something that, that no one really likes, honestly. If you really like darkness, you're unique. Um, and I say that with all love and, and concern for you. Um, it just feels, it's, it's, not a, it's not a comfy feeling, man. I like a little light, you know what I mean? I like to see what's going on around me. 
And for those of you with little kids, you know that darkness and Legos don't mix. So let's dig into this real quick. John chapter 8, verse 12. Verse 12, we're going to start reading here. And uh, I'm going to go in and just kind of break down a little bit of this. And uh, it's going to be a good morning, all right? Here we go. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who, bears, who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you, that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity, for the privilege, for the freedom to set and open your scriptures. God, I pray you speak to us. God, let us be laid bare like a canvas, a clean canvas ready for you to paint on. God, speak to us today. Let our hearts be transformed by your word. Let our minds be renewed. In the name of Jesus, amen. So the context of this scripture, you have to kind of look back at John chapter 7 and kind of see the whole situation. And even So when he says, again, Jesus spoke to them, if you look in, in the Bible, you see this like the woman caught in adultery, that story. It's almost like an interrupter to the back end of John chapter 7, Okay. So when, it's, when he says, and again, Jesus spoke to them, it's almost like he's teaching the people, woman caught in adultery, he deals with that, and then he just goes back to it, okay, okay? So, and this teaching, this passage of scripture, John is recording what happens at the Feast of Tabernacles, all right? So the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the Feast of Booths, some of your Bibles say that, it's Booths, Booths, that's a funny word to say or feast of tabernacles, right? So this festival lasted uh, seven days, and we see it in Leviticus 23, 34 through 44, and Nehemiah uh, chapter 8, verses 13 through 18. We see uh, God commanding the people to, um, to follow him and to um, live in like tent-type structures. That's where the booths come from, right? So, but this festival is to remember... Uh, how God led them out of slavery and into the promised land. That they were to camp in tents because that's what God commanded them to do in the wilderness, okay? So 
picture with me, though, this city is full of people. The city is full of people at this time. It's like, well, there's a party going on in Indianapolis right now, talking about, you know, it's like, it's like crazy, okay? I mean, people on the west side of Indianapolis, man, they've got like a part-time gig that, that whole week. They just open up their lawn, $40 a car. I mean, inflation, dear Lord, they're probably making $200 a car right now. Just parking in the yard, man. So, like, picture with me. It's like, it's crazy, okay? This is like New York City, Times Square, New Year's Eve. Like, there's a ton of people in this situation, okay? Because they're all celebrating. They're all remembering that God took them out of slavery and delivered them into the promised land, okay? So, you know, how many of you put up, like, Christmas decorations, Okay, some of you, how many of you, okay, this is fun. How many of you put Christmas decorations up in August? How many of you still have Christmas decorations up in August from Christmas? No one? No one? That's too bad. Southside Indianapolis, we're, we're, it's just, you just throw them up in the gutter and you pull them out. It's fine. Yeah, but so, so this, this passage of scripture, okay, Jesus is teaching, and it's like the decorations are still up, okay? The decorations are still up. Now, part, of this, um, part of this feast was the water drawing, right? Now, they would go to the Pool of Siloam and pour, uh, dip out some water, and then they'd go and pour it out on the west side of the altar. Uh, and you see this in Exodus 17. They're, they're, this is kind of remember, helping them remember uh, Moses, when they were in the wilderness and Moses was leading them out, he struck the rock and God provided water for his people right? So they're doing this water drawing, right, to, to kind of remember what God had provided for them, okay? Let's go to, uh, if you want to, I think we've got that on the screen, John chapter 7, um, verse 37 and 38. Now, this is, this is, you know, they've just done this, this water drawing, right? They've just poured it out, okay? And Jesus stands up, and on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in, his, in, in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So, you got this here? Okay, they're, they're remembering that God provided water for them in the wilderness to quench their thirst. And then Jesus stands up, if anyone's thirsty, come and drink of me. Jesus is trying to explain to them, trying to show them, hey, the provision that God provided then, I am now. I am the Messiah. I am your provision now. Come and drink of me and you will not be thirsty. I'm better than what you can see in the physical. Okay? That's what he's teaching in that moment. And he stands up and during this festival, there's so many different things going on in this this, this feast, remembering everything that God had done for them, taking them out of the wilderness. There were liturg the liturgical readings during the feast, uh, and this passage out of Zechariah that we're going to read was part of it. It kind of helped form some of the readings that they did during the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, this is, this is the, pa the passage is, has an emphasis on God as the light of the world who gives living waters to his people, Okay. So let's go to Zechariah um, chapter 14. I'll give you guys a few minutes if you guys want to flip there. It might take a moment. 
because it's not, you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah or Psalms or Proverbs, you know, where you guys, where the natural prophetic thumb finds, you find it. Or you can just look up on the screen here in just a moment, no big deal. So they, they would read these scriptures as they're gathering and remembering everything that God had, had done for them. So in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 5 through 8, kind of the back half of 5. So then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day, there will be no light, cold or frost. There shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time, there shall be light. And on that day, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. And they would read these different passages of scriptures. They celebrated remembering what God had done for them as a people. So this scene in John 8, 12 kind of takes place in this, you guys understand kind of the setting of where we're about to go? Okay, so the setting here now is John, as Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. To celebrate God uh, being the light of the world and them, him leading them out of the wilderness with a uh, pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, they would light up these four candelabras, okay? I don't know how big they were, but it would light up the entire city. So these things are pretty big, right? So they would light these things up and it would fill the entire area with light. It would fill the entire area with light. The center of the city, it would illuminate the whole city. So, so kind of picture with me, you guys, have you guys been to a Christmas Eve service here? If you haven't, it's really cool. You should come this year. You know, the whole place is dark and everybody's got these candles that are lit on fire which is super cool, especially when you get little kids up in here. It's awesome. And I'm just like, dude, let's make sure our insurance policy's up and ready to go. <laughs> but man, the entire place is just lit up with candlelight. It's beautiful. It's such a beautiful moment. But they're, they're in the city center, and the entire place is lit up by these four candelabras. Okay, remembering, if you go to Exodus 13, Exodus chapter 13, I'll give you guys a moment. We do have this one on the screen. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Verse 21. So, so this is kind of post, um, post the, the exodus from, from Egypt. Okay, so, you know, the plagues on Egypt, you know, the frogs, the boils, you know, all that action, the flies, locusts, you know, all that. It's already past that, all right? Past the Red Sea, okay? So here we go. Chapter 13, verse 21. And the Lord went to them, went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Okay, so God led the Israelites by fire by night and by a pillar of cloud by day. Now, this signified his presence and direction with them in the wilderness. The entire time they're in the wilderness. Can anyone remember a little Sunday school question? Can anyone remember how long they wandered in the wilderness? Forty years. Think about that. For 40 years, they had a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud during the day to remind them that their God was with them. 
to remind them that, yes, this is not where you were in Egypt. You were slaves, but you were fed. You're in the wilderness, but your God is leading you to the promised land. Think about that. For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, but they had the pillar of fire by night. They had the pillar of cloud by day. They had his, his direction. They had his leading to follow. They had that reassurance that our God is with us. We are not abandoned. This, was, this, this, this celebration was huge, man. It took place under, their light, under the light. People are dancing through the night. They're holding burning torches in their hands. They're singing songs and praises. The Levitical orchestras also played. Okay, so this is a big throwdown. Some of you might be having one of those on Monday at your place. That's awesome. I hope you have brats. I'm going to have brats. This is the end of the feast. Here we are, John chapter 8. It's the end of the feast. The lamps are still up, but the candles are out. And Jesus takes this opportunity of the lighting celebration to portray another spiritual truth for the people. He stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Once again, Jesus is trying to communicate to the people, you know, what you just remembered, what you just remembered and, and, and celebrated what God did back then, I am now. I am with you now. I am the Messiah. I am the light of the world. So it's, it's if you just keep moving through this, whoever follows me, okay, that's that next part. Whoever follows me, that's present participle. To live in the light, to follow Jesus, it's, it's indicating a continuing action. This is not just something that, you know, you make a one-time decision. True Christian discipleship is a way of life. It's not just a Sunday decision and then Monday I'm back to life, right? It's, it's a complete surrender. Matthew 10, 38, Jesus says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's heavy. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You've got to follow him. Following Jesus isn't just a one-time decision. It's a journey. There's always another step. There's always another a step in the process of continually, daily, laying your life down and submitting your agenda, your motives, your passions, your drive to his leading, to his kingdom, to his lordship, to becoming more like him. It's every day. It's not just a one-time, man, I feel horrible for my sin. I feel really bad about this choice I made. That's not, that's not the end of the process. The end of the process is I recognize I'm going the wrong direction. I need to stop, find a turnaround, that's called salvation, and then I'm going to repent and move the right way. That's what following Jesus looks like, okay? Now listen, this is not I'm perfect. You're not, you're not there, right? You're not at the end of the destination. You're just not where you were. And every day, I'm going to continue to follow him. I'm going to open my Bible, and I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. I'm going to say, God, purify me. Purify my thoughts. God, renew my mind. Let me not see people through my physical human eyes, 
don't let me judge the flesh, God. Let me just trust you with the process and continue to follow you. So John records this interaction, which leads me to my question. And is there light in religion, or is there light in culture? Okay, we're going to dig into this a little bit. Go to verse 13. Religion, if you're, if you're taking notes or if you, you know, whatever. This is the big point. Religion is darkness. Religion is darkness. As soon as Jesus says, I am the light of the world, who steps up and starts to discredit him? The Pharisees. The religious leaders of the day who were piling on judgment and laws on top of laws on top of laws. Religion. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. Religion steps up and calls Jesus a liar. Now listen, I may not be, I was ordained just a few weeks ago, but I know this before that, you don't call Jesus a liar. Like that's like Sunday school answer number one. Don't call Jesus a liar, right? Like Jesus comes to expose darkness even in religion. Even in religion, he comes to expose the darkness. Jesus answers them in four, verse 14, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. Man's good about looking at the outward eye and judging, right? I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I, it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. He says, I'm here to do some works, I'm here to teach some things, and all of the instructions that I'm following are from my Father. He says that again, I don't say anything my Father doesn't sell me to say. I'm just doing my Father's work. Okay, Jesus makes it really clear his agenda is not a personal one. It's once again kingdom-minded. He says, I'm just here to do the work of my Father, okay? Verse 17, in your law, it is written, the testimony of two people is true. Jesus is saying your law, okay, because he was, he was one to distance himself because he would come to fulfill the law, right? So he says, in your law, it is written, the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus really hits him on this one. Like, just think about this. You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him. Jesus was telling them, listen, you don't even know my father. That's the issue is that religion doesn't really know God. See, he's saying in your law, the Pharisees agreed that the testimony of two men was true. You see that in Deuteronomy 17.6, Deuteronomy 19.15, and Numbers 35.30. Just a couple references for you if you want to jot those down. Look at those when you get home. Jesus was distancing himself from, their, from the law since he would replace the Mosaic law with a new covenant that he mentions when he takes communion with his disciples, right? Let's look at that in Matthew 26, 28. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. He says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
So Jesus offered two witnesses, himself and the Father, far greater than any human witnesses. And some scholars believe that he was actually kind of in this moment referring back to his baptism, right? How many of you guys remember that? Have, have, you can remember that, that story. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school. Maybe Scott spoke on it. Maybe Matt spoke on it. But, but Jesus' baptism, right? So Jesus comes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes him. Step up. There's a bird, right? A dove lands on him. Hello, dove, Holy Spirit. Okay. So that's one part. And then there's a voice from heaven. How many of you just like, you were out walking, we were at the farmer's market and heard a voice from heaven. Anyone, ever, anyone ever had that experience? No? No, I, didn't, I haven't either. That's why I was just checking. He's saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So I don't know about you, but if I was in, on, on, the, on the river in that moment, I'm like, oh, okay. That's, that's pretty clear, right? That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear that this guy is not just a normal guy. He's got to be more, okay? The thing about these Pharisees, though, is they memorized the, book of the old, books of the Old Testament. They honored the Sabbath. They tithed 10% and more. They celebrated all of the feasts and the festivals. They did everything right. They were good. They, they put all of the 16 and 613 laws in the Pentateuch on the fridge and tried to obey them all. See, these men were misled, deceived, darkened. Listen, Jesus isn't calling you to religion. Jesus is calling you to a relationship. Religion is darkness. See, when they knew religion, they knew the laws, but they did not know God. Jesus tells them, if you knew my father, you would know me. You would recognize me. You know, uh, as I was preparing this message, it reminded me... um, of our first, our first child's birth. So we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. We didn't find out the gender. So it's like kind of, you know, high anticipation, like, boy, what is this? Am I, get, am I getting a son? Am I getting a daughter? Am I going to get to play with, with Legos and G.I. Joes? Or am I going to have to learn what Barbies are and how to do hair? <laughs> oh, my gosh, what is this? Uh, so, so we're sitting there, and out comes Titus, the doctor picked him up and said, hey, it's a boy. Because, you know, it's a boy. And I'm like, hey, we've got a son, you know. And, of course, Jenna does the whole, like, oh, my baby, you know, loving, loving Dovey, you know. Beautiful moment, incredible memory. And then the next word's out of her mouth. I carried this thing for nine months through exhaustion, vomiting, loss of sleep, and he looks just like you. <laughs> uh, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. What do you do in that moment? You just, I know, I know, honey, but you did so good. You're so good. So beautiful. Jesus is saying, if you knew my father, you would recognize the work that I am doing and the words that I am saying and the teachings that I am teaching. You would recognize that. I am from him, but you don't know my father. You are full of religion, and you are blinded. See, he continues, man. He really gives it to the Pharisees and the scribes. I'm telling you right now, I am really glad that, uh, that, that I, I, I just read this stuff. I'm not hearing it. It would be scary to hear what Jesus would say to some pastors nowadays. 
But he really gives it to him here. You can look this up. I don't know if I've got the scriptures for these uh, on the screen or not. Matthew 23, Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. The section is titled, oh yeah, good, I got it. This is so good. All right, seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. Then Jesus said to the crowds, and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Ow! They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Man, I mean, and if you read that section, he just continues to go on, man. He charges them. He charges the Pharisees with seven things they're doing wrong, seven ways they're deceiving people, seven ways they're not about the kingdom. Religious people have a knowledge of Jesus, but they have yet to allow their heart to be surrendered and allow it to be transformed by their, through their actions. See, the re religious people know exactly what to say and what to do and how to act and how to dress. But inside, man, they're just whitewashed tombs. People come to church on Sunday, but on Monday, they're out doing their own thing. Religion is not what Jesus calls us to. Religion is, is dead. It's what Jesus came to deliver us from. I'm reminded what James tells us to be doers of the word. In chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. Says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. I think there's a lot of people all across the country who come to church on Sunday morning, who drop a 20 in the plate who will be and rock a baby. Thank you. If you rock a baby, thank you so much. Man, we love you. Thank you so much for serving our nurseries. But they do all of the right things, but yet they never let the gospel of Jesus Christ change their heart. They do all of the right things to fit in the social club, but they don't let the transforming work of Jesus Christ change their lives. We have to listen to the word of God. We have to submit to the Holy Spirit and to apply his word to our life. Religion does not lead to enlightenment, only deception. I was, I was heartbroken. I saw, I saw a recent survey that only, that 63% of lead pastors, like Big C Church, I think Barna did it, 63% of lead pastors surveyed do not have a biblical worldview. Then you want to talk, then you want to talk, I throw some scary stats out, that Gen Z, okay, Gen Z has a 4% world, biblical worldview. Okay? Well, that's because only 12% of kids and youth pastors surveyed had a biblical worldview. How frightening is that, that we've allowed the pulpit, we've allowed the church, the, the pastor, the office of the pastor to be so deceived and so misled that we don't hold scripture in high place. 
Parents, that's why I'm telling you, get your kids in the Word. Listen, I love you, and I love the, the messages that I put together on Wednesdays, man, and the, I pray over them. I believe that, that man, God's going to use them. But my words and your words are going to fall completely fat compared to his. You've got to get your students and your kids in Scripture. Even if that feels like you're, and I know, trust me, <laughs> I was trying to do Bible time with them this week, man. It's just like, what? The Red's dead. The Red Sea, the water just stopped? How did they get across? And then I'm explaining that. And you're just like, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray you just let this affect them. Let them get in their heart and change them. Guys, we have to stand for Scripture. Because the moment that we say, man, I don't know, what are we standing on? What about Jesus then? What about the resurrection? You have to have a high view of Scripture. You have to have a high view of Scripture. So what about culture? Culture is darkness. Culture is darkness. We continue in John chapter 8, verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where am I going, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not. Jesus is plainly saying, I'm from heaven. I'm not from this world. Jesus is separating himself from the culture and the human thinking because it's fallen. Cult, current events, I don't know if you've been, I don't know if you've watched the news this week, but man, my heart broke. My heart was broken for families in Texas. My heart was broken. Humanity has fallen. Humanity is fallen. The only hope is Jesus. The only hope is Jesus. You cannot legislate morality. You can't. Because evil men will do evil. Jesus is our only hope. The light had to come because of the darkness. Anyone ever been, uh, you know, when I was a kid, we would go to movies sometime, like on, on Saturdays, we'd go to like matinees because they're, they're cheaper. And, uh, and that was the reason why we went to the matinees because they were cheaper. And you know, you walk in, you enjoy the movie, and then you walk outside, and it's like, man, I just stepped out in front of a spotlight or something. I cannot see, I'm about to trip over this Snickers wrapper, okay? <laughs> like, you don't realize how dark it is because your eyes adjust. I don't know if you've been hanging on here and kind of, you know, raising your kids and living life, but it feels like the world has, has really cranked up the darkness over the last few years. You know, the world is totally and completely dark. You and I need Jesus to see anything clearly, including ourselves. That's why biblical worldview is incredibly important. Because you don't need to see yourself or your children through the lens of Scripture on any subject. You need to see yourself and your children through the lens of Scripture on everything. Please, 
<laughs> we live in a world that celebrates darkness. They have parades for things that we should be grieved over. We live in a culture that celebrates what we should be repenting of. Isaiah 5.20. Isaiah 5.20 says culture, culture is lost. Listen to what Isaiah writes. says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Listen, Jesus did not eat with tax collectors and sinners because he wanted to appear, inc appear inclusive or tolerant or accepting. He ate with them to call them to a changed and fruitful life, to die to self and live for him. His call to transformation, not affirmation of the old self and fallen identity. Jesus did not just come to leave us in our sin. He called us out to be transformed. That is still our call today, church. It's not to just be welcoming and loving. Of course it is. Of course it's where it starts. But we have to continue that because God wants more for you. God wants more for you. John 8, 1, we see it on display. The woman caught in adultery. Jesus didn't just say, I'm not judging you for your feelings. I'm not judging you for that. He says, I'm not condemning you, but go and sin no more. He's loving and he doesn't compromise. He's loving and he does not compromise the truth of the gospel. First John, first John chapter one, verses five through seven. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him or we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus did not come to lift the world up. He did not come to lift humanity up and affirm humanity. He came to bring the kingdom down. He came to change the world we live in. He came to transform us into a new creation that he created us to be. Through him. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, telling a prophecy of Jesus. This is one of the messianic prophecies. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them, light has shone. See, what we do is we want Jesus to bless our way of thinking and bless our feelings and humanity. But Jesus says, no, I've come to bring you something better. I haven't come to bring culture to its fulfillment. I've come to bring the kingdom to culture. Because this world, past, present, and future, is filled with darkness. Jesus is saying, think up. Think up, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This morning, I've got a few, 
I've got a question here. Do you believe in Jesus? Verse 24 says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Religion says, do these things, behave better. God grades on a curve. Hopefully you'll do enough right things and you'll be okay. Culture, culture says, well, they died and went to a better place. You know, heaven, we affirm, but hell, it's, that's definitely just a, a literary device to scare people into this. It's not, it's not a real place. That's what culture says. But Jesus, Jesus says, unless you believe in me, unless you put your faith in me as the provision and the answer, you're going to die in your sins. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's, God's desire is not to destroy the world, it's to see it saved through his son. That's where you and I come in. We get to then follow his last, his, one of his last commands before he went home to prepare a place for us. Just go, go and tell, go and teach people to follow me, follow my teachings, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you. You know, as we prepare, as we prepare for the end of this message as I wrap this up in closing that's what that's what pastor's saying in closing as I was preparing this message I was reminded of our second child Hattie um, she's our early riser she usually wakes up um, at the, the blessed hour of 5:45 in the morning I know some of you wake up way earlier than that. And you're like, come on, man, I've had breakfast by that time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a real man. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just pretending. <laughs> she wakes up at 5.45, and she comes up to my bedside and usually jumps right in my face. Daddy. A second. Okay, I have to go, buddy. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm gonna do it. And as as I'm as I'm kind of you know rolling out of bed, trying to like you know find my way around, I, I reach for my phone because, like so many of you, I have my phone right by my bedside, plugged in. And the room's comp- my, my 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 bedroom's completely dark. So. I'm, I'm just, you know, waking up, trying to, trying to find, as I, I find it, I'm like, oh, okay. I get my water cup, because, you know, I got to have my cold water. And I'm kind of, you know, trying to, trying to get up moving that way. And I get, I get ready to, to get up. I go, okay. She goes, okay, Daddy, let's go to the front row. I was like, okay, okay. She goes, I can't see. It's dark. So, yeah, so I reach, 
I reach and grab my phone and I pull my phone out and in the darkness I shine my light and I'm you know I'm, I'm stumbling through right because I just woke up get out I dodged the Legos that were left out the night before the Lincoln logs last night because those things hurt too As I sit down on the couch, she curls up next to me. And she goes, thank you, Dad. I could not see until you showed your light. See, without Jesus, we're wandering in darkness. Without Jesus, I can't see the way. Without Jesus, I can't see what's the right direction that's why when he says I am the light of the world whoever follows me walks in the light of life it's powerful because now I don't, I don't have to I don't have to make the decision I, I just have to follow him I just have to follow wherever that light is shining I just have to follow where he's shining his light. No, nope, don't go over there. I'm gonna turn over here. Nope, see that? You gotta let go of that. So I gotta let go of that and just keep following him. Just keep following him. I think too often we get full of pride because I've been doing this for years. I've been saved since 1941. And in reality, what we did was we just stopped following the light. We just decided to stand as he continued. And some of us, we were following the light and we just decided, no, I'm just gonna go over here. I said too often with students. It's this morning. reminded of the scripture. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Do, do we submit our life? Do we submit the direction we're going to his scripture, to his word? The word became flesh and dwelt among us.